Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. How are we doing? How's everybody? Live stream, what's up? How's everything going with you guys up there? Um, real quick question, just a really quick question. How many here, by a show of hands, just really innocent show of hands, how many here remembered that it was time to fall back one hour this morning? How many? How many? Ah, for those of you who did not remember, you woke up early and were mad. You were upset. You were like, no, I could have slept one more hour. I could have turned over to the soft, cold side of the pillow, and I could have gotten that one extra hour of sleep. If you have newborn kids, that didn't matter. Your kids woke up anyway. It didn't matter for you. Well, can you believe, can you believe, and I'm not trying to put anybody into a panic mode right now, but can you believe that we are just two months away from the new year? I mean, 2024 is literally right around the corner. And not that I'm trying to ruffle any feathers right now, and like I said before, put anybody into a panic mode or anything like that, but if we really want to think about it, it's Thanksgiving, it's Black Friday, if you count Black Friday, Cyber Monday, if you're an Amazon person, I see you ladies, I know what you're talking about, Cyber Monday, after Cyber Monday, you have Christmas Eve, if you're super Hispanic, because that's when they celebrate Christmas, right, Christmas Eve. It's true. It's what we do. If you're not that Hispanic, Christmas. And then you have New Year's Eve. That's it. You have six major, huge, seven. My birthday's in December. You have seven, seven major, huge events that are happening. And then before you know it, boom, it's 2024. Well, I don't want to talk about all of them. I only really want to talk about two of them, which is Thanksgiving and Black Friday. And the only reason why is because it reminds me of something that happened to me when I was about 16 or 17 years old. See, during this time in my life, during my gamer phase of my life, there was something that I wanted. There was something that I needed to have in my life because if I had it, I believed that it would make me the coolest kid on my block and it would make me the coolest kid in my classroom. And this is what it was, if you want to take a look at it right here. It's a picture of it. Boom! It's the Puerto Rican pendant. It's the representative of my nationality, yo. Everybody. It was all the rage. I'm not going to tell you what year it was because I don't want want you to guess my age. But when I was 16 or 17, everybody on my block, this was what was happening at the time. If you were Puerto Rican, you had a if you were Puerto Rican, you had a Puerto Rican pendant. If you were Brazilian, you had a Brazilian pendant. Everybody wanted to represent their nationality. So I wanted to be the first Puerto Rican on my block to represent. And in my classroom, even though it was full of a whole bunch of Puerto Ricans, I wanted to be the first Puerto Rican to represent in my classroom. So I had a part-time job, and I was able to convince my mom to take me to Saks and Fifth, the Elizabeth Elizabeth version on Broad Street, right? That's because, you know, that's that's way out of my price range. Can't afford that, you know what I'm saying? So we went to the one on Broad Street, and I went looking through all the different windows to see if I was able to find a Puerto Rican. And I found one that looked very similar to that. So I walk in. Mind you, I've never bought jewelry before. This is not my thing. 
I walk in, the guy takes one look at me. He knows. He knows. He's like, I'm going to swindle this kid. I'm going to swindle him so bad. So I look at my, hey, how much is that pendant, that Puerto Rican pendant in the window? And a typical swindler move was not telling me the price. Guess what his question was? How much money you got in your pocket? I didn't know. So I was like, I got $175. And he was like, guess what? It's your lucky day. It costs $175. So I'm like, can I look at it? Can I see it? Can I observe it? Can I just, you know, look at the intricacies and the details of this pendant? And he brings it to me and I look at it and I'm like, man, this doesn't look like it costs $175. And then he hits me with it and he says, Eddie, this is 10 carats. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's like, Eddie, this is 10 carats. I had never heard of 10 carats before. When it comes down to gold, you hear what? It's, you guys know. I'm like, wait a minute, 10 carats? He's like, he's like, listen, listen, between 10 and 14, there's not that much of a difference. It's four, it's four numbers, Eddie. Just, just get the pendant. You know you want it. You know you want to represent. He knew what the deal was. I bought it. So I bought it, and fresh to death, next day at school, white crisp T-shirt, the Tims, the baggy jeans, the Echo backpack. I'm walking around. I'm looking at all my friends, and I'm like, yo, look at the chain. They're like, yo, Eddie, the chain is dope. And I'm like, thank you. I spent $175 on it. Yo, it's 10 carats. They just all gave me this weird look, just like you guys looked at me right now. They're like, 10 carats? I didn't realize too much, much later on in my life the value of 10 carats. Now, because I want you guys to know, 10 carats, 10 carats is the lowest solid gold that you can possibly use for jewelry. It's the lowest quality possible. 10 carats is 41% gold. That's all it is. It's 41% gold and 58% alloy. That alloy, that 58%, you know what that is? It's useless. It's useless, worthless metal. It doesn't cost anything. It has absolutely no value. So I was walking around with a hunk of metal on my chain. That's what was happening, and I thought I was dope. That's what was happening. But because I was so curious, the guy said there's not that much difference between uh, 10 carats and 14 carats. I went a level deeper, and I found out what 14 carats is. 14 carats is the total opposite of 10 carats. 14 carats is 58% gold, 58% gold and 41% alloy. Only 41% of it is about, you know, that useless metal, worthless alloy that's inside of it. Now, 14 karat gold, just for everybody who knows, because you guys already said it, it's the most common gold that is used for jewelry. If you're married and you have a ring or a wedding band or an engagement ring, the likelihood of that being 14 carats is very, very high. It's about maybe 90% of you probably have a 14 karat gold ring on right now. But I couldn't stop there because I'm a nerd. I'm a geek. That's what I do. I do research. I went deeper than that. You know what's higher than 14 carats? 18 carats. Oh, people know about gold. I wish I knew you when I was about 16 or 17 years old because I never would have bought that pendant. But... 18 karat gold, thank you, brother, I appreciate it. Anyway. 18 karat gold, check this out, is 75% gold, 75% gold and 25% alloy. 
It's only 25% alloy. It's most commonly used in earrings and in necklaces. The reason why is because once gold starts getting to that higher percentage, it, be, it starts to become very soft and it scratches and scuffs very easily. So they don't really use it for rings that much or for bracelets because, you know, you do that and then you ruin the whole entire thing. So they use it for earrings and they use it for necklaces. Now, I went deeper. The highest level of gold, and you guys probably know this, is 24 karat gold. 24 karat gold is 100% pure gold. It has no metal alloys in it. There's no impurities. There's no nothing in it. It is the purest type of gold that you can possibly have. Now, here's the thing about 24 karat gold. They don't really use it that much for jewelry. The reason why is because 24 karat is so soft, so bendable, so pliable that it wouldn't make any sense to make jewelry out of it because you would easily go like this and you would ruin it. So 24 karat gold, you will see it more often in a gold bar. It is most often used to collect wealth rather than for jewelry. Now, one last thing about gold really fast. If you were walking down the street or you were taking a hike in a countryside somewhere and you just so happen to stumble upon a random gold nugget in the ground, even if you pull that gold nugget out of the ground, even that gold nugget is not 24 carats. That gold nugget still has impurities inside of it. It's most likely around the 20 carat range. The only way that gold can get to 24 carats, the only way that it can become 100% pure gold is through a process called refining. A process called refining. And the refining process says this. It's the process of removing impurities or unwanted elements from a substance. That's what the refining process is. And the main thing that is used in order for this process to take place, the main thing that is used in order for this process to happen is fire. It's fire. You see, what they do is they grab the gold, right? You guys have gold with you right now. Not real gold because we ain't rich like that, right? But they grab the gold, they put it into like a cauldron-like thing, and they apply direct flame to that gold until it starts to melt. The moment that gold starts to melt, they add this powdery substance to it called flux. I'm not going to get to the whole chemistry of it. It's dope, all right? They add this flux to it. What the flux does is that it acts as a magnet. And as the gold is melting, the flux attracts all of the impurities, all of the useless metals, all of the worthless material that is inside the gold. It attracts it to the flux and it separates it. As the gold begins to cool, the gold shifts to one side and the useless material called slag shifts to another. After it fully cools down, you can take it out of that cauldron-like thing and you can literally go like this separate it with your hands. But it, because it is so obvious what is gold and what is not. What is gold and what is not. But here's the kicker about this entire process. After they do it once, they do it again. After they do it again, they do it another time. After they do it another time, they do it again. And they do it over and over and over and over again because they need to make sure that all the impurities are out, that all the worthless material is out. 
if they tested the gold after like the fifth or sixth time and it comes out to be 23.9999999% carats, guess what they do? It goes back into the fire. And they keep doing it until they have 24 carats. I believe that this is what Jesus wants to do with us this morning. And not just this morning, but I think that this is what Jesus wants to do with us throughout our entire journey, throughout our entire walk with him. Because Jesus is a refiner. Jesus is a refiner. He wants to remove all of the useless. He wants to remove all of the worthless. He wants to remove all of the unwanted impurities of our lives so that we can be brought forth as pure gold in his sight. He is a refiner. God says this to his people in the book of Zechariah. He is speaking through the prophet, and this is what he says. And I, God, will bring the third part through the fire. That third part that he's talking about, that was the remnant of Israel, the remnant of God's people at that time. We right now are the remnant of God's people. If you did it back then, God will do it now. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and try them as gold is tried. As you can see, God is in the business of refining his people. He is all about removing the worthless, the unwanted, the impure things of our lives. But just to make sure that we don't get this confused, just to make sure that this is very clear, I'm not talking about the external worthless things. I'm not talking about the impurities that surround us in our day to day. That's not what I'm talking about. If we take a closer look at that wording, he says, I will try them as gold is tried. That word tried in the Hebrew is the word bahan. It's the word bahan. And it means this, to examine, to prove, to test the heart. To examine, to prove, to test the heart. God is in the business of refining our hearts. He's in the business of examining the depths of who you are, of who I am. He's in the business of looking deep within our hearts to see the things that don't match up with his heart and to use his hands to separate them from us. But just like any good refiner knows, in order to get to that point where you can separate it, It has to go through the fire first. It has to go through the fire first. And notice what God says in the beginning of this verse. He says, I will bring them through the fire. That's very important. I will bring them through the fire. The fire is already there. The fire is already there. God is just using the fire. God is bringing them through the fire that already exists. Because his desire is to use the fires in our lives in order to do his refining process. And those flames that he he desires to use, they take shape in the form of our lives, in the form of our problems. 
They take shape in the form of our trials. They take shape in the form of our circumstances. They take shape in the form of our disasters, the unforeseen, the the out-of-nowhere tornadoes that come crashing down into our lives. They take shape in the form of the unseen diagnosis. And more than anything, those flames burst forth in our life through our suffering, through our suffering. But his desire is to bring us through these things so that we can come out on the other side as pure gold. But you know what I realized, though? I realized that there's a tension that exists. There's a tension that exists between us and between God's refining process. There's a tension that exists. Did you see it? We don't like problems. We don't like problems. We don't like trials. We don't like the unforeseen, the out of nowhere tornadoes that come crashing down into our lives. And on top of all that, we don't like suffering. And I'll tell you why I know this. Because I don't. I don't like problems that pop up out of nowhere. I don't like unforeseen circumstances that come out of nowhere. I don't like things crap. I don't like anything that I don't have planned happening in my life happening without me knowing about it. And especially more than anything, I don't like suffering. And because I don't, it's a natural human tendency to not like any of those things. I know that you don't. None of us like those things. If anything, we will do anything in our power to avoid those things, especially if it involves suffering. I'm not going to go to that place over there because there's so much chaos and there's so many problems happening over there. I'm deciding, you know, I'm going to avoid going to that place. I'm not going to risk being that person's friend. You want to know why? Because that guy over there, that girl, they're surrounded by problems. And I don't want any of their problems to come on to me. So I'm just going to not be that person's friend. I'm not going to go to my mother-in-law's house. There's so much suffering there. Don't repeat that. For those married men. But Eddie said, no. Don't repeat that. I'm not going to get out of my comfort zone. Getting out of my comfort zone requires me to be stretched and requires me to deal with things that I've never dealt with before. So I'd rather just avoid that. We will avoid the fire that happens in our lives at any cost. Those words alone, testing, trials, suffering, when I mentioned them, you should have seen how some of you shifted in your seats a little bit because it brought something to you. It brought something to you. Maybe you were transported back to a time in your life where things were so tough that when you got out of it, you said to yourselves, I'm never going to go through that again. I'm not going to go through that again. I promised myself I am never going to fall into that same pit ever again. For some of us, it brings up memories of a tough loss, an unforeseen loss that we had no idea was coming our way, a son, a daughter, a family relative. Still, for some, it brings up a recollection of other people's problems and their situation and their test and their trial. And we saw what they had to go through and how they had to endure. And our hope and our prayer for ourselves was that we hope we never have to go through what they went through. 
But here's the thing about all that. As long as we keep avoiding the fire, as long as we choose to go in the opposite direction of where the flames are, we will never go through God's refining process. We never will. We'll never go through it. Those impurities, those worthless metals, that slag that has no value whatsoever will remain in our lives. And you know what those worthless metals, those impurities do? You know what they do to the gold when they stay there? It hardens it. It hardens the gold. It makes it the total opposite of 24K, which is pliable, bendable, and moldable. And when it comes down to the issue of our heart, if God is trying to refine our heart, that's what he wants our heart to be. He wants it to be pliable, bendable, and moldable. In other words, he wants a heart that beats with and responds to his heart. A heart that is sensitive to his guidance. A heart that puts its trust in him no matter what the situation looks like, no matter how bad the fire appears to be. But if we decide to not go through that process, all we have are those impurities in our lives. All we have are those impurities deep down inside of us. And all we have is a hardened heart. It's a heart that says, I trust in me more than I trust in God. It's a heart that says, I have my own best interest at heart. And going through all that stuff, nah, I'm good. I'd rather not. But as long as we do that, as long as we avoid the flames, we will carry with us a hardened heart. But on top of that, I just thought about this. But on top of that, could there be another reason besides just wanting to avoid the problems and the issues? Could there be another reason why? When you guys walked in today, <clears throat> excuse me, you didn't get just gold, but you got also silver. Not real silver. But you got gold and you got silver. Why? Because God is a refiner of both. He's a refiner of both gold and of silver. But here's the thing about silver. When silver, go, silver goes through the exact same process as gold, right? You, they put it into the cauldron. They put flame on it. It melts. They add the flux to it. But when they add the flux to silver, it reacts differently than the gold. Because gold, when the flux is added in, it separates this way to the side. But when fire and flux is added to silver, what happens to silver is that all the impurities, all the worthless metals, all the things that have no value, they rise up to the surface. They rise up to the surface and they become easily visible to the refiner and to anybody else who is watching the process. They can easily see all of the useless and the worthless impurities that are happening in silver as it is being refined. Could it be? Could it be? Could it be that we choose to not go through God's refining process for fear of what may rise to the top and become easily visible to others? Maybe we have a fear that our impatience will become visible. Maybe we have a fear that our short temper will become visible. 
Maybe we have a fear that our shortcomings will become visible. Maybe we have a fear that our anger will become visible. Our selfish motives, our pride, our dishonesty, our selfishness, our lack of compassion towards others. Maybe we choose not to go through the flames of God's refining fire for fear of having our unchristlike attitude exposed to everybody that is around us. We don't like others to see our faults. It's true, we don't. And the flames bring that to the surface. And I mean, come on, let's just be honest for a quick second. Let's just be honest for one quick second. You know what I'm talking about. There are certain situations in your life. There are certain groups of people. There are certain circumstances that you avoid on purpose because you know that situation That circumstance, those people bring out the ugly in you. It's true. It's true. We avoid those things because we know deep down inside, if we're surrounded by those people, we're not going to be who God has created us to be. We're going to be something else. We're going to say things we don't want to say. We're going to behave in a way we don't want to behave. We may even act so unchristlike, they're going to question whether or not we really believe in God. And whether or not we really follow Jesus and have our faith. So we avoid those situations because we know that it brings out a side of us that we don't want anybody to see. But here's the thing about that. Those situations, those circumstances, it's not like those situations put those things on you. No, those things are already inside of you. They're already there. They are deep down embedded into our hearts. But we serve such an amazing and such a gracious God that his desire for us is for him to bring us through this refining process so that he can remove those impurities, so that he can remove those insecurities, so that he can remove those shortcomings, those sins, those worthless things that have no value in our lives. We serve such an amazing God that his desire is to do that for us so that we are able to live free from those things with a heart that's for him. And if we have a heart that's for him, we have a heart that is filled with purpose. We have a heart that is filled with meaning. We have a heart that is responsive to his heart. It says this in Proverbs 25, verse 4, and I love this verse. It says this, remove the dross from silver, and the silversmith can produce a vessel. Remove the dross from silver, and the silversmith can produce a vessel a vessel. This verse is clearly telling us right here, right now, that if the dross, the unwanted, worthless impurities are removed from the silver, the silversmith is now able to produce a vessel. He's now able to produce a vessel, something that has worth and value, something that the silversmith has a desire to make. But the opposite of this is also true. If the dross is not removed, if the dross is not taken away, the vessel that is desired to be made cannot be made. 
it cannot be made. And the same is true of us. If we refuse to choose to not go through God's refining process, we are saying no to the vessel that God wants to create in us. We're saying no to that. In essence, what we're saying no to is we're saying no to his purpose for us. We're saying no to the reason why he created us. We're saying no to all of that. And listen, not for nothing, but you're here in these seats right now because you desire purpose. You're here in these seats right now because Jesus has given you purpose and you want to know what that is. Every person here does. Then the only way to figure that out is to go to the person who created us, which is him. And it's crazy to think that, that every single one of us desire purpose. We do. We want the purpose, but we don't want the process. We want the purpose, but we don't want the process. We want to be made into shiny vessels of gold and silver, but we don't want to go through the process that it would take to be that. And listen, I'm not saying that the process is easy. It's not. It's tough to go through the fire. It is. It requires some sacrifice on our part. It requires some self-denial. It requires our abandonment of our need to self-preserve ourselves and to let go and let God do his amazing work in us through those fires, through those situations. And through those circumstances. Because what comes out on the other side of the flames is worth it. It's worth it. And in Paul's letter to his church in Thessalonica, you want to talk about fire? Oh, man. You want to talk about fire? The people in this church, they were going through some fire. Let me tell you. They were suffering and going through persecution because of their faith in Jesus and because of their reluctance to follow any other God. Because of their reluctance to follow any other God. They were suffering and going through persecution. They were getting blamed for every problem, every negative situation, and they were being sacrificed for it as a result. The people in that region that weren't Christian, they were blaming the Christians for everything. They were blaming them for poor crops. They were blaming them for lack of rain. They were blaming them for dried up riverbeds. They were blaming them for whatever disaster fell upon them. And since they were the ones getting blamed for it, they decided that they were also the solution. So they started sacrificing them and persecuting them and making them go through a whole bunch of all different types of suffering. And Paul was so concerned about this church that he sends to them Timothy to get a scouting report so that way Paul would get the information from Timothy on what to write to them about. But when Timothy comes back to Paul with his report, it's not what Paul thought it would be. And this is what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. He says this, But Timothy has just now come to us from you. Timothy left the church in Thessalonica, and now he's meeting up with Paul in a different location. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. 
He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about, excuse me, about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. What are the people doing here? What are they doing in the middle of their problems? What are they doing in the midst of their suffering? What are they doing in the midst of their persecution? What are they doing in the midst of these trials and these tests and the fire that is falling down on them right now? Paul says it. They are standing firm. They are standing firm, meaning that they are trusting God through what is happening. They are trusting God through what is happening. They are not avoiding the problem or trying to run away from it. They're not trying to go to a different church in a different town. They're not leaving their position, their post. They're not abandoning their loved ones. They're not walking away from the situation. They're in the middle of it, standing firm, standing firm. And if you were to read the entirety of First and Second Thessalonians, if you were to read the entirety of it, you would figure out why. I can't get into it. We'd be here for like two hours. But I, I did my best to summarize it really fast, really fast. Paul warns them about the trials and the testing of their faith. When the church was planted, this is what Paul told them. There are going to be trials. There are going to be tests. Because you follow Jesus Christ, because you believe in him and proclaim him as your Lord and Savior, there are going to be trials. There are going to be tests. Not that God is causing it, but there are going to be outside circumstances that come into your life that will test the faith that you have. That's what he told them. And that's what he tells us. You are going to have tests in your life. You are going to have trials in your life. You are going to have problems in your life. It's unavoidable, but even more so because of who you believe in. And Paul warns them about that. He tells them also about the persecution that is going to befall them at some point. But he also tells them, he also tells them that through it all, Jesus Christ is going to be with them. He tells them that Jesus Christ is going to strengthen them. He tells them Jesus Christ is going to give them the strength to endure whatever it is that they are going through. And because of that, they should stand firm because God is with them. He also tells them, and I love this part, he also tells them that they need to put their hope in Jesus because Jesus went through it first. He went through it first. He suffered first. He got persecuted first. He went through all these problems first. He went through all these trials first. He went through all these tests first. If they were going to put their hope in anything, they should put their hope in somebody who went through it already and came out on the other side of it as gold. That's what he told them. He told them at the very end of it all how they go through the fire Their testimony, their testimony will be great because of it. And Jesus will be glorified through that testimony. Which brings me to this point. There is no testimony without the test. There's no testimony without the test. 
In other words, what Paul is telling them about this whole entire process, you know what he's saying to them? It's worth it. God's refining process is worth it. You may not see what is happening. You may not see how his hand is moving. You may not see how he is operating behind the scenes. You may not see his work in progress, so to speak. But God is working and moving, and it is worth it, Paul is telling them, the same way he is telling us that it is worth it. It may not seem pleasant at the time, but it's worth it. It won't be easy, but it's worth it. You may not even understand why it is happening. But it's worth it. And speaking of not understanding why, I want you to watch this video really quick. September 2021, Ida, that was my basement. That was my basement. That was the family room. That was the playroom for our kids. And as the water kept coming in and it didn't stop, as the water kept coming in and didn't stop, I was not understanding why this was happening. I had such a feeling of helplessness. I wanted to do something, but there was nothing that I could do. Nothing. All I could do was just watch as everything got flooded. My wife, Jen, she noticed my demeanor as I sat there and just looked at the water going like this. And my demeanor, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm going to be honest with you. I had the the demeanor of a defeated man because I wanted to do something to protect and to help my family, to not have them have to go through this, but I couldn't do anything. And I sat there, and she knew that since she couldn't do anything to help me, no pat on the back, no saying that it's going to be okay, she took the kids and she went upstairs. And she left me to my own devices, so to speak. And I literally just sat there, just looking at the water. I can't lie. I questioned everything. God, why are you doing this? God, why is this happening to my family? God, I know it's water, but it feels like fire because deep down in my chest right now, it's burning so bad because I see everything being wiped away. It was tough. It was hard. And I'm embarrassed a little bit to say that, but that's how I reacted. I wasn't really mad. I was just in disbelief. God, I serve you. God, I follow you. But yet, this is happening. And as I was standing there, I can't even begin to imagine to tell you how long I was standing there. But you know where I really should have been? I should have been upstairs with my wife and my kids. Because you know what they were doing? 
They were worshiping God. They were singing praise and worship songs to God upstairs. I heard it. But here's the really, really upsetting part for me about that. As she was upstairs doing that, that exposed something about myself. And I didn't like it. It was ugly. It exposed to me that when I don't understand why, I question God. That when I don't understand why, I question God. And to me, that hurts so deep because I'm like, man, God, I trust you. I love you. Who am I to question you? Who am I to do that? If anything, that shows a lack of trust on my end. And I was so upset with myself because of that. And I shouldn't have been. Because no matter what, God always has it under control, right? He does. And at that very moment, I kid you not, God spoke to me as clear as day, as clear as I see each and every single one of you right now. He spoke to me. He said, Eddie, I get it. You're upset. You're mad. There's a part of you that you see right now that you don't like. Well, guess what? I don't like that part either. You don't see it, Eddie, but I'm doing something. You don't understand it, Eddie, but I'm doing something. You may not realize what is happening, Eddie, but I am working. And in order for you to get rid of that questioning, I need you to trust me through this process. I know the waters are rising, but your faith needs to go higher than that right now. You need to trust me higher than that right now, Eddie. So I did. It wasn't easy, but I did. I shut the lights off and I went upstairs. The very next morning, I went downstairs and there was disaster everywhere. The water was gone. Our sub pump kicked in. The water was gone, but the basement was destroyed. Fast forward a few months, me and my wife ended up hiring a contractor to check the foundation of our house to make sure the foundation was okay. The guy that checked the foundation came back to us and said, hey, listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a, you have holes the size, of golf, the size of softballs in your foundation on this one corner. If this doesn't get patched up, if this doesn't get fixed, this could be disastrous. You're going to have a whole side of your house just crumble and fall down. He's like, you want me to patch it up? I'm like, yeah, patch it up. Please patch it up. Seal. And he did. He sealed it up and he patched it up. Me and my wife ended up also installing a French drain in our house with that. Fast forward a year or so, a torrential downpour came down on our block, and our block flooded. Our kids ran upstairs, and they were afraid, and they were nervous. I went downstairs, and the basement was bone dry. It was bone dry. I would have never known about the holes in our foundation if the flood never happened. The fire of that flood ended up exposing two things in my life. One, it ended up exposing the holes that I had in my foundation, but two, it also ended up exposing the holes that I had in my trust in him. When it comes down to our relationship with God, when it comes down to our relationship with God, we don't need to understand fully in order to trust him completely. We don't. And it's the same with his refining process. We don't need to understand that process completely in order to trust him fully. 
If God would have came at any other moment in my life, if he would have said, Eddie, you have some trust issues when it comes down to me, I would have been like, God, what you talking about? Me and you were good. My trust with you is solid right now. God, there's nothing wrong with the way that I trust you. I would have brushed them off. And when the flood happened, he used it to expose that. And it's not like he did it in a malicious way or in a bad way. It's not like he was saying, ha-ha, I told you you had hope. No, he said, Eddie, this is what I want to fix. I want to fix this. There are things in your life, there are impurities in your life, there are worthless metals in your life, there are things in your life that have no value right now, and I want to take that from you so you don't have to deal with that anymore. But that can only happen if you go through his refining process. And right now, there's a song that is about to be played. And I believe with my whole heart that this song is a song for you. That this song is about the refining of your heart to make you bendable, to make you moldable, to make you pliable, to make your heart a heart that is for him. And if your desire is to have a heart that is like that, if your desire is for God to remove those impurities from your life, if your desire is to get rid of all those worthless things and to trust him through the process of his refining, then I invite you to come to the altar to come and worship and have God speak to your heart. It will be a deep moment. It will be an intimate moment. It is a moment between you and God. It is a moment where God is going to use to refine you. So come. If your answer is yes, come and worship. It's worth it. Jesus is telling you right now that it's worth it. The only question that remains is, will you let him? Will you let him bring you through that fire so that all the things that have no value, the impurities, the worthless metals, the sins that are deep within, will you let him bring you through so that those things rise to the surface so that he can separate it from your life? He wants to let you know right now that he's got you. He's got you through it. He wants to let you know that he's got you through all the problems. He wants to let you know that he got you through all the unfortunate situations. He wants to let you know that he's got you through all of the diagnosis, through all of the storms, through all of the fires that are currently present in your life and for the ones that will spring up later in your life. He wants to let you know that he's got you. He will bring you through it, but only If you let him. It says this in 1 Peter. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, a little while, you may have had to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor 
when Jesus Christ is revealed. When you come out on the other side of it, when you come out on the other side of the flames, when you have that testimony for the test that you just went through, my prayer for you is that it results in praise and glory and honor to the one who brought you through it, to the one that brought you through it. My prayer right now over each and every single one of you is that God would burn you beautiful, that God would burn you lovely, that God would burn you righteous, that God would burn you holy, that he would refine you as the silversmith removes the dross so that he can make the vessel that he desires. May God, the ultimate silversmith, remove all the dross that is in your life so that you can become the vessel that is suited for his purpose, for his glory, for his kingdom. I pray that over every single one of you right now, I also pray that your hearts would be open to him, that you would not run, that you would not avoid him, that you would run through the fire with him and trust him through that process because I'm telling you right now, it is worth it. I pray, I pray that you allow him to burn you beautiful. I pray that you allow him to burn you lovely. I pray that you allow him to burn you righteous. I pray that he allows, that you allow him to burn you. Have a great week with God. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.